Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Hello, this is Kathy Grace. I'm co-director of the Graduate Center of Study of Early Learning, and I have with me today Dr. Kenya Wolf, who is co-director as well. And we're very fortunate to be able to have uh, some time with Dr. Alan Pratt, who is the executive director of the National Rural Education Association. So how are you, Alan? I am um, at, at the time of this recording in full conference planning mode. It has been a rather exciting time uh, and I'm doing well to answer your question, but conference on the brain and I apologize. <laughs> Well, that's understandable because right now a lot of people are having to do virtual conferences. And so that's a, a new approach for some of us to uh, attend as well as to present. Uh, so I, my heart goes out to you on that. A lot of stuff's been going on in the country over the last couple of years. And uh, just to remind folks, uh, we're at the University of Mississippi. So that puts us right in the middle of rural America. And uh, I just want to start with one question here, and then uh, we'll kind of take turns and Kenya will ask some and we can all just talk together. Over the past 18 months, how would you describe the impact COVID has had on rural schools? Well, you know, first of all, I think it was a, um, if you go back to 2020, it was a like a fever pitch pivot from in-person to some form of hybrid or online learning. So if anyone ever tell you, tells you that schools can't pivot and switch quickly and become flexible, that's simply not true. Uh, they, they were forced to, but they did that rather rapidly. In innovation came out of this. And then I think the, the resiliency of communities came out of this as well, working together. Um, if you look at the positive side and if you look at some of the negatives or some of the areas that are difficult, we, we, we saw inequities, inequalities that were there before the pandemic were really highlighted and kind of spotlighted as still there, uh, being broadband, also uh, food inequities, and then obviously just community-to-community -community differences in how uh, schools are funded or communities are funded. So I think those things have been were a major impact. Um, but I, I try to look for the positives, and I think a lot of the innovation that came out of the switch and the transition, we're seeing some of those some of those items stay in the schools even when they're going back in person. So I, I look for uh, more innovations to come out of this as well. Well, one of the things that you've mentioned is technology and how technology was used in different ways and in more ways than what currently before the the pandemic had occurred. I assume that that's one of the things you think will keep uh, or that will remain uh, even now that we're starting to get back to normal. Do you see more about the professional development around the use of technology or, uh, you know, just in general, the emphasis being placed on that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think um, probably one of my negatives out of that was that teachers and, and sometimes students weren't trained and well enough to handle the, the shift to the technology piece of it. But you're right. I think professional development has, has been a kind of lean towards the technology and use of technology and how we educate students. Uh, I think you, you see it and you probably see it as well at, at uh, Mississippi there as in the uh, shift of how we're using technology to train pre-service teachers as that moves forward. 
but just the simple fact that there's districts across the nation that were never one-to-one and may have been 10 years before they were going to be one-to-one have shifted dramatically to that one-to-one figure. And I think we've made up some time coming out of the pandemic with the technology usage and also how we're implementing. So you mentioned technology. When you're talking to rural educators, are there other kind of ways that the pandemic has affected them as teachers and the way that they teach? Yeah, I I think you look at the situation where you have school districts that are not doing the five to day five days a week traditional learning they're doing more of a hybrid and a mixed approach so i think that's been a big impact where teachers role kind of becomes more of a facilitator especially when you look at middle school high school and really at the high school level and so i think those have been big shifts i think a learning curve in the sense of how teachers are implementing their curriculum and how they're shifting and transitioning and into their new roles uh, those have been two of the biggest and, and let's be honest, uh, you know, teachers and their impact on that that uh, relationship basis of with their students, that was missing from the virtual component. I think picking that back up and also making sure they're finding different ways to reach their students. You mentioned that there are different kind of hybrid ways that teachers are teaching. Have you heard any feedback about how that's going? Are you seeing success stories coming out of that? Um, you mentioned innovation other than technology. Do you think those hybrid ways are going to stick or do you yeah, think we'll go back? Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's going to be a, a, some forms that will stick. And I, th- I really think the middle school, high school area, I think early childhood probably going to go back to more of that traditional schedule, but blending in the, the uh, technology as well. Um, but but I do think there's there's examples from different states, Missouri, uh, a lot of your Western states it come to mind as a four-day school week, and that's K-12 four-day school week. So those things come to mind when we're talking about this, and that was prior to the pandemic, and it's also really intensified the need to push to that direction uh, um, as we come out of the pandemic. Well, we have experienced, and I'm sure where you live and across the country, a lot of uh, traumatized children and teachers. And... Uh, I wonder the feedback you're getting across the country from people in rural areas where often those resources to address mental health needs are not as prevalent. Yeah, that, that's big. I mean, you, you, that, you know, when you're looking at areas that are kind of on the horizon or areas of need, I think the social emotional learning piece, I think anything with mental health, those are really at the forefront of what districts are looking for and starting points on how to start. And you're seeing a lot of companies that do online like teletherapy work. Um, and I think it's going to be a mix of that online teletherapy, especially while the ESSER dollars or the COVID dollars are still available and some form of uh, in-person contact with those students and also our teachers as well. Uh, this has been very trying on a lot of, uh, a lot of fronts. But, you know, we read and we hear about the number of teachers in the teacher shortage in general and in early care and education. We saw a report yesterday that the workforce is down 100,000 plus teachers in early care and education. Uh, That's not necessarily public school. That's just in the child care. Do you you hear or see uh, from others around the country that the teacher shortage is being addressed or are we still trying to find teachers are we 
are we keeping up with the numbers for graduating or do you still see that that's a big issue again particularly in rural parts of the country yeah it's a big issue i mean you look at teacher shortage in general i think the state beside you there alabama had 4100 teachers leave at the end of last year um, I think that's a big issue in any rural community. It's really an issue in any community across the country right now. You're also seeing, you know, uh, substitute teacher shortages and bus driver shortages. So those three, the big shortage shortages that we're seeing, we're also seeing that superintendents are not staying in their job as long. Um, but kind of, you know, we had two states in Nebraska for sure. I think Missouri's the other one that had record superintendent searches last year, um, more than in the past. And those are our two rural associations there. Uh, so that that's a big, big issue. So, um, you know, keeping up with the pre-service load, I, I, I think the pre-service teachers, many of them, as soon as they leave their or they, before they student teach, they have a chance and an opportunity to get a job. So I think the, the, I think it's, you know, it's, it's really, there's a strong need to increase the numbers in the, in our teacher prep programs and uh, attract and recruit those students from those communities to come back to be teachers as well. Years ago, I think when I was working with the Kellogg Foundation or, or some very wise people, I was once told that rural is place-based and that uh, a lot of folks don't want to leave so much uh, that they would stay at home. I wonder if you're seeing but from your school conversations that you're having with folks that people are leaving and that that's one of the problems that, that there is now that we have to reckon with is that it's hard to recruit folks into a rural area uh, if they're competing with uh, a more suburban or urban area. I think if you look at it and traditionally looking at the view of uh, our students leaving, going to a four university and not coming back, you're obviously going to see that it's to a certain extent. Um, but we also saw during the pandemic and even now you see it more, we're getting folks moving back just simply because they don't want to be in the larger city. And we're seeing some of that teacher, uh, what we call the comeback teacher that may be close to retirement or retired in another area and then come back to their home area to finish out or to teach. Uh, so I think that's one phase of it. I think the other phase you look at is I think we have to come up with ways that we recruit our students and recruit folks to our rural areas in more unique ways. Um, there's a lot, there's a movement going on right now, really in the Midwest called make my move. And it's really advertising for, you know, um, folks living in suburban urban areas to move to rural with incentives for land or and or stipends to move back to these rural communities and that connects you know really with those rural teachers as well and their families moving back so it's just going to be a, us finding a way to be really unique in how we recruit uh, we know salary is important, but salary is not the only reason that teachers don't come to rural communities it's other secondary amenities and things for their family so I, I I, th I think that's going to be the kind of approach of we have to be unique, we have to be targeted, and we have to uh, kind of don't take no for an answer sometimes. Well, you mentioned secondary amenities, and certainly early uh, care and child care are issues in rural areas. Um, we are seeing that there are historic amounts of funding from the federal government. Are there any, any innovative ways that you can share or even just tell us what's happening in rural areas in regards to childcare? Yeah, 
Yeah, even before the pandemic, we were seeing districts, uh, especially I'll use Colorado in our rural group in Colorado as a reference. Uh, they were doing innovative ways with child care for the community and they were linking or working with the school district and or the school district was providing uh, this early child care in some form or fashion through uh, subsidies from the government. And with the new money that uh, has been proposed and we hope to see move forward, I think you're going to see a lot of innovative approaches on how districts use that unique way to target pulling teachers in, also helping the community because it's that community strong togetherness. Uh, so those things are what we saw before. And I think you're going to see some of that again. And, and I think, uh, you know, one thing about rural communities, the ones that are successful and strive, they're pretty innovative and they're pretty much hands-on on how they get things done. Well, if you were to name three issues that you feel are on the horizon for rural educators, what would those three issues be? You know, I, I think the, the first one obviously would be um, the teacher shortage for rural educators. And, and when I'm educators, as in leadership at the district level, is, is a big part. Um, I think policy, uh, and I think policy in the sense of, and I'm not talking policy with the big R or policy with the big D, I'm talking about policies in general that you're looking at for public education, um, how we're funding ed and how we're supporting teachers. Those, those are issues that, that are coming up and they're going to be more prevalent as we move forward. Uh, that also tags into teacher unions as well. So I think there's, there's going to be a dynamic there that may be a shift or a change. And, and the third one, when you look at it from the sense of it, it's going to be how we meet the needs of our students and not just educationally, but all aspects of it. I think it's going to be more of an individualized program as we move forward. That, that is, that's, I, I don't think we can go away from that approach. Um, and I think if we can address the teacher shortage, help with all the students' aspects as much as possible for our social-emotional learning to education and career guidance on those connections and, and also use of technology and, and, and making sure policy fits what's best for our students across rural America. If we can do some of those to address those issues, I think we'll be way ahead and moving forward. If you were going to suggest that educators – stop talking to educators. I'm not saying that you suggested that, but I'm saying <laughs> if you were to suggest who would people need to be brought into conversations that are not just educators. And I ask that from a standpoint of one of the things that certainly we've all been made aware of is how connected we are with public health uh, departments and the issues around children's health and adults' health. Uh, and how rural communities are going to contend with that uh, as we move into the next five to 10 years. I think you hit a good point. I think it's a community aspect of it. So when educators, just talking to educators, you're right. There, there's probably, uh, it's kind of an echo chamber. Uh, so I think with the healthcare providers, the rural health uh, care providers, also hospitals and or doctor's offices. I think those intertwine together because there's so much a part of the community. I think the faith-based areas of the rural communities are important to bring in to help with rural schools and rural schools to help them as well. And I think local politicians and I think your state representatives, even your federal, um, your senators um, from your state at the federal level, I think engaging those folks in conversation is vital. Um, and, and, and we all know this, I'm not trying to get too political, but a lot of times people are voting on aspects of education.
education and ed reform or policy that really don't understand education. And it's our job to do a better training process for those folks. Well, I was going to ask you about uh, the number of states or the, the states you work with and how many of them uh, still agree or still have the local elected superintendents. Uh, where I happen to live, that was uh, uh, taken off the books about four or five years ago. Uh, and whether or not there's any difference in local elected superintendents and those that are appointed by either school boards or city councils, that you've noticed in terms of this uh, connection more with the community or with the new way of thinking, I'll say, as far as how we're going to address children in the next 10 years. Yeah, I think the elected superintendent role is not as prevalent as it was before. I know some states still have the, that process. Uh, and and there's, it's on the book sometimes. It comes up time and time again. I know in Tennessee it does that uh, our legislators want to bring that back. It's not really a good measure for uh, our, our rural schools. So, you know, we usually find that if a person is connected to that community, not by being voted in, but uh, being selected or elect, uh, being selected or appointed is probably a better situation for our schools, our school boards as well. Um, and, and it also, in some cases, eliminated some of those uh, political traps that some superintendents fall into. But I say that with the asterisk being there's a lot of political traps now coming out of COVID with other things that they're having to deal with. So it, it, it's, you're going to run into them no matter what, but it's, it is really, I think to, to go back, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of the elected superintendent. Well, a few years ago, I did some training for the school board association in Mississippi. And I wonder if you have noticed or if you think that that's another area where we need to do more professional development within the school board through associations or otherwise, because things in education have changed within the last three years. And perhaps people on school boards that do make decisions haven't exactly kept up with stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, you look at school boards in general, um, if you're going to change rural America, and I'm just going to put this out, this is my own personal uh, statement here. The school boards have to be, the, obviously, the vital component to that change. And, and, and for me, anytime I saw rural districts in the past or currently that were kind of cutting edge or innovative, you saw a school board, they either allowed those educators and those leaders to run and kind of fly, or you were they were heavily involved in the process. Um, I, I think that's the key um, and, and training those super training the superintendents, training the school board members to set this up is important. And what I mean by set this up as in a good collaborative working relationship and understanding there's going to be uh, some outside the box thinking to make things better. Well, we certainly appreciate your thinking today because you've given us some perspectives. And since you have a good handle on rural America, whether it's Midwest or Southern or New England. Uh, I think some people in this country don't realize exactly what rural means. And uh, so you've helped to shine a light on that. And we are very appreciative of your time today. Um, we look forward to maybe getting back in touch with you in six to eight months to see if things have changed when we see with big money, we hope, will be coming into early care and education. And uh, also to see if we can somehow determine the 
hopefully finally getting through the pandemic and see if things are what the new normal will look like. I'll put it that way. Uh, yeah, uh, the new normal. Um, <laughs> happy to come back. I appreciate the invitation and, and really was a good time for me to kind of step away from the conference planning and talk about the real issues. And uh, I, appreciate you, I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of this today. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.